barriers that were put in place really did dehumanize our ability to connect with families. But I will say that the pandemic probably brought about some of the best that I've ever seen in nursing. So I do believe that we're on track. I think that, you know, it's very hard to take that out of our hearts because it is who we are as healthcare professionals. Welcome to Humanizing Healthcare, where we talk with innovators and thought leaders who are working to make healthcare experiences more compassionate and rewarding for all. Our host is Chris Malone, founder of Fidelum Health and author of the award-winning book, The Human Brand, how we relate to people, products, and companies. Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Malone, and I'll be your host for today's discussion. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be talking with Joy Peters, Chief Nursing Officer at Jefferson Hospital and Pannensburg Hospital, which are part of the Allegheny Health Network in the Pittsburgh area. Welcome to the program, Joy. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Jefferson and Cannonsburg Hospitals? Sure. So I'm the chief nursing officer of both hospitals, and pretty much my role is is to be the person that actually helps create the vision for patient care, as well as ensuring that we have levels of leadership for the nursing staff. So, you know, when I think about what does a chief nursing officer do, many of the things that surround the provision of patient care center around different pillars, such as quality, satisfaction, safety, you know, satisfaction for the nurses, as well as for the patients. So in summary, some of the things that I do, but I think also there's a tremendous responsibility today to our nursing staff and their professional development, as well well as ensuring that they have a healthy work environment and that they have joy at work. Oh, excellent. Literally, your joy and their joy, right? Absolutely. Great, great. And so I'm curious just to learn a little bit more about you. Is there a story you can share about how you chose a career in healthcare? Sure. You know, actually, I really didn't plan on being a nurse when I was younger. It was sort of an unfortunate situation that happened in my life um, that when I was a sophomore in high school, one of my sisters was killed in a pretty tragic accident. And so not only was the vehicle that she was traveling in in an accident, but the ambulance that was transporting her from our local community hospital to a level one trauma center in our inner city also was in an accident. So it was very difficult for our entire family. And at that time in the late 1970s, it was something that organ donation became, you know, very new to um, those of us in the community. And we didn't know much about it. And so my sister became an organ donor as a result of, you know, her kindness, but it was very difficult for our family. And I would say for me in particular, it took me several years really to adjust to losing my sister. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in life until my senior year in high school. And when it finally hit me, um, where I could see the sort of nameless and faceless nurses who are caring for her, as well as caring for our very broken family at the time. So, and it wasn't necessarily the things they did. And sometimes it was just them listening to us cry or allowing us to be a family that really made the difference for me as a a person. So at that point in time, I realized that I wanted to be one of those people someday. And so I've always probably in my heart had a very special place for 
families and patients who are going through, you know, major life event. But also, I think I'm very sensitive to, you know, the people who I'm responsible for making sure that they have what they need in the work environment as well. So, and that's basically, you know, sort of my story. It was my plan, but I think it was God's plan for me. That's a remarkable story. And it really highlights, I think we've heard this from some others as well, that not only are the frontline care providers making a difference in the life of these patients every day when they have the opportunity to care for them, but they are inspiring the next generation of care providers with the way the difference they have made in their lives. And so I think there's really a lot to be proud of and impressed by when you have that kind of impact on someone. Right. It becomes your why. Why you do what you do every day. Exactly. Now, over the past few years, it seems like there's been growing interest in this idea that kind of healthcare needs to become more human. I'd say, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. What are your thoughts on this? Does, in your experience, does healthcare need humanizing? So I, I think that most healthcare executives would actually say that ensuring that patients have sort of the most personalized experience is a top priority. So I think that that is true probably in every setting. When I think about AHN and Jefferson Hospital, I'm really proud to say that I think that we do a number of intentional things to make sure that we are focusing on ensuring that we have the very best patient experience that's personalized. And while we may not call it humanizing healthcare, I think we've been doing this very thing for a very long time. So one of our motto is caring people, caring for you, uh, which I love because it's really not just about caring for the patients, but it's also caring for the employees who actually do the work. So I'm going to get a little geeky on you for a second because Mm -hmm. the people who know me will say, oh my gosh, she's going to talk about a nursing theorist here. But I am going to say that in nursing, you know, there are a number of different nursing theorists out there. And Jean Watson in her theory of caring really touches on exactly this. So basically the theory of caring is creating a more connected experience with patients. So I think that theory has been around since about 1979. So I I think it rings true today. But having said that, I would say that the pandemic in particular certainly accelerated technology very rapidly in many settings. So, you know, we previously had Telenoro, we've had but the virtual visits. Now we have virtual sitter. Now we're seeing virtual admission nurse, virtual discharge nurse, like the speed of which the technology is coming before us really can put a barrier between our ability to make those connections with patients and their families the way we have in the past. So there's always been sort of some change, you know, in terms of technology, but I do believe it's coming so fast that it really takes time for staff to be able to acclimate to it as well as adjust so that they're more able to focus on the patient as well. So for us today, I think what that means in nursing or for any caregiver is that we have to be much more intentional. So go back to Jean Watson's theory and think about that theory of caring and how can we execute that strategy in terms of, you know, this changing landscape that we have before us. So, you know, I will also say, say that from the pandemic's perspective, you know, the masking and and all the barriers that were put in place really did dehumanize our ability, you know, sort of to connect with families. But I will say that the pandemic probably brought about some of the best that I've ever seen in nursing, either witnessed in some cases and other cases that I heard about, where the nurse really at the bedside was doing their very best when 
husbands and wives were dying next to each other and they were connecting remotely and being the person that holds that patient's hand. Um, So I think that theory of caring, if you will, is at the heart of every caregiver, the why, why we do what we do. So I do believe that we're on track. I think that, you know, it's very hard to take that out of, you know, our hearts because it is who we are as healthcare professionals. So I think that we're doing the right things. And I think we've been doing it for a long time. Absolutely. And I think you make a number of good points there. One is, as you say, kind of the basic psychology of humanity hasn't changed in thousands of years and isn't changing in our lifetime, despite how much technology might be introduced. And so we can kind of rely on the fact that the way we're wired as humans hasn't changed. But I think the other thing that I was really struck by is you mentioned personalization and relationships. And that, I think, is personalization is the hallmark of what represents a relationship. The fact that I know who you are, I care who you are, and I personalize my interaction with you is the sign that we have a relationship. So I think those are really important points that you made. So tell us a little bit more about Jefferson Hospital in particular. Where is it located? How large is it? What kind of community does it serve? So Jefferson Hospital is located in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, and it is a 341-bed community hospital. So I always like sharing the story about Jefferson Hospital. So it's about 40-some years old. It actually was designed and brought together by the combination of two hospitals. So the St. Joseph Hospital, as well as the Homestead Hospital, which were both hospitals in uh, the surrounding Pittsburgh community. So the interesting thing about Jefferson is that the St. Joseph's Hospital was was a Catholic hospital. And it was the very first time in the country at that time, back in 1977 or so, that an order of nuns actually, and a Catholic hospital actually merged with a community hospital to create at that time what was called the South Hills Health System. So, and the vision for the South Hills Health System was to basically be a place where, you know, we can care for the community like family. So the hospital itself sits on about 73 acres, you know, it's a pretty big campus. And I think that the very first chief operating officer who was not only a nurse, but a nun, I think had a very strategic vision for ensuring that we cared for the community like family. So having said that, I mean, the organization takes care of just about everything except for trauma and transplant and probably level three NICU patients. But for the most part, we can provide all the care that you need right in the community and in a very personalized way. So I think the culture, you know, when you think about Edward Schein's book on culture, you know, really the culture is way down below the surface of the ocean. And so when you walk around Jefferson, what you certainly see are smiling faces, but I really believe it's the work of Sister Crescentia and the Order of Nuns that brought the hospital forward that actually creates what we see today that you don't really know on the surface, you know, exactly. So the other thing I would say about Jefferson that I think it's really telling is that in the midst of the pandemic, we became a first-time magnet hospital which was such a transformation for us. You know, there were times we could have turned back in the journey, but, you know, the team is so resilient. And truly, I believe that the culture and the work that's done at Jefferson has always been a magnet organization. But to receive that affirmation in the midst of a pandemic when, you know, staffing wasn't that great and resources were thin and all of the things that were, you know, sort of raging around us when that was happening, I think says a lot about the organization and the people Um, within its walls. 
It is remarkable. And it's a good segue into what I understand is a remarkable story at Jefferson Hospital as well, that the emergency department has kind of gone through this remarkable transformation over the last few years, improving dramatically in its patient experience scores from the fifth percentile to nearly 70th percentile. Can you tell us about this story? How did this all come about? Well, we were really at a crossroads, you know, and sometimes you have to get to that point to really create such a major transformational change. But, you know, we were embarking on creating a brand new emergency department and the emergency department for any organization is the front door to the hospital. So there was a big commitment to actually create a much larger space. And of course, you know, to do that, it meant that we had to scrunch all the patients that we were normally getting into half the space so we could build half and then scrunch again so we could build the other half. So it was going to be quite the undertaking. But what we saw at that particular point in time was that there were some clues that the staff were really struggling. So we were seeing some comments that were those insidious types of little comments that just made us feel that patients were patients. They weren't people anymore. They were the acute MI in bed one. They were the gallbladder in bed four. You know, so we were sort of depersonalizing that. And I think that's sort of the negative consequence, right, of caring for so many patients, you know, seeing the trauma of caring for so many patients over time. So for us at that point, we were seeing about 55,000 patients a year. So a little bit better than 150 patients a day. So that's quite the pounding in any organization. So that was, you know, a major challenge. We're also seeing um, the reflection of our struggles in our staff engagement scores. So where Jefferson at large had very, very high engagement scores, the emergency department was sitting at less than the 25th percentile, you know, aiming more around the 17th percentile. So people were losing their joy at work. And so that those were some signs. The other thing that we noticed was that about 43% of the complaints in the entire organization were surfacing from the emergency department. So that was a lot of complaints. And so having said that, you know, just the lack of compassion that we were starting to see and um, all of these other, you know, sort of data points sort of led us to a point where we had to do something differently. So at the very beginning, you know, we thought, most importantly, we needed to address the compassion fatigue, you know, that negative consequence of caring. We needed to address that rather quickly as we were starting to embark on this huge challenge of building this new space. So our nurse educator at the time in the emergency department put together a program for all of the staff. So physicians, PAs, the techs, the nurses, anybody, the unit secretaries, anybody who interfaced in that emergency department, sort of a mandatory two-hour training to talk about compassion fatigue. And what we had the staff do was take a tool that was called the Professional Quality of Life Scale. And it wasn't for them to turn in. It was really for them to do for themselves to see where they are in terms of their level of either compassion fatigue or burnout or where they sit. And then the exercise, I think, was very powerful. I mean, it addressed bias as well as the compassion fatigue. So, and then the staff immediately felt like that two hours, like wasn't at all what they expected it to be, but they noticed things in themselves that they could reflect to do differently. Now, remember, this is an organization where the staff work extremely hard. You know, they are so proud of their hospital and their community, and they're often taking care of their friends, neighbors, and family. So this was not our staff. I mean, our staff was really, you know, in a tough place and we needed to do something to turn it around. So that's pretty much where we started with the process was 
the compassion fatigue um, training, and and that made some improvement in our score. So we started to see over the next few months some nice increases. So the next piece of this is like, how did we move forward? And so in 2019, um, at the beginning of the year is when we started partnering with our patient experience manager to really do, you know, some, um, a strategy around how we were going to improve sort of the patient experience in the emergency department. So we're fortunate we have a really enthusiastic patient experience manager who partnered fabulously with our emergency department leadership team, which was, I think, the critical first step in trying to create change. So we couldn't make excuses. You know, we we had to throw the excuses out the door. It's not who we are. But what we had to do is put together a program where we could move the dial because, you know, investing in a new emergency department is a big investment. So we don't want just to have a pretty space and then have horrible experience because our community is not going to support that. So Part of that journey was really a cadence to start of meetings, like weekly meetings with the leadership team to talk about the data, like trying to understand what the data was telling us. And so there's the numerical data, but there's also the data that reflects the comments and those trends that you see from, you know, the patients themselves. So those particular pieces, I think, you know, were critical at understanding, like help us to understand the data, you know, doing a good assessment of that. The other thing that the team was committed to do besides, you know, meeting weekly as a team, as a leadership team, but they also committed to huddling with the staff, you know, to go over what we call different huddle tools or topics that sort of help staff reflect on the behaviors and things that were taking place that we saw that generated from the data. And so our patient experience manager came to the emergency department huddle every Monday and actually started the huddle, okay? And then throughout the rest of the week, the leadership, the nursing leadership team actually carried that same theme through the rest of the week. And the themes are different things. So it could be, you know, the data myths around patient experience reporting. You know, everyone thinks it's it's the patient who doesn't like you that completes the survey. Well, actually it's the people who do like you too. So those are the types of things that the huddle topics were about, like the myth busters, you know, making eye contact, how to listen, all kinds of little things that are just those little teeny tiny things that make a difference. And also um, one of the fun activities that occurred during the huddle was this exercise called the beach ball. And of course, everyone likes going to the beach, but it was a fun way because you have to remember these are emergency department nurses who are busy and who are always on the go, hurry, hurry, hurry. So really you have to get a message to them very quickly, succinctly um, without, you know, really, you know, dragging it out because they don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, trying to get to the point. So the beach ball basically had key questions on it and they would throw the beach ball around and on each section of the colored beach ball, it might be if a patient says something to you, how do you respond or what's the better response to say? So, you know, a great thing is to say, calm down, you know, who wants to hear that, right? You know, it's better to say, help me to understand what your concerns are. You know, it sort of refigures the message so that the patient isn't put sort of, you know, on guard. And so a lot of that work, you know, took place. And part of that whole piece of that was uh, what generated was called the Emergency Department Playbook, which, you know, we have copyrighted for AHN, but that playbook really started putting together all of the pieces step-by-step on how we can build on creating a culture of patient experience in the emergency department. 
Wow. And so tell me a little bit more about how you partnered with the central Allegheny patient experience team. You mentioned the patient experience manager was very enthusiastic and kind of kind of became embedded there. How, how did that partnership work as this work unfolded? Yeah. So our patient experience manager is part of that central team, mm-hmm. but her place is sitting at Jefferson. So, and at Cannonsburg too, she actually shares both hospitals, which makes it really super easy for both emergency departments. But, you know, that partnership I think was pivotal because massaging these types of concepts really, you know, takes some time in the emergency department. And, you know, the nurse leaders have a role to play as well, but it kind of helps set the stage for these are the expectations in collaboration with the leadership. So, she was part of that team, is part of that team, continues to be part of that team today. But so that was her role in all of this. And she was always there. And the other thing we've sort of expanded on this as time has gone on, um, is we've done little things where the patient experience leader goes around with this thing called facts and snacks. So in the evenings or off shifts, she'll go around with a snack cart and actually review like the different concepts because we know really for these types of major changes to take place, communication really has to be one-on-one, you know? So having that personal contact with each individual person and helping them understand what are some better choices to say when you, you know, are faced with a difficult patient, particularly in the setting of an emergency department, that one-on-one contact coaching really goes a long way for the nurse to actually understand it or the tech to understand it. I also understand that in addition to these culture and staff development and engagement initiatives, there was also a lot of redesign of care delivery processes and resources as part of this transformation. Can you tell us about that part as well? Right. Well, you know, we were in this process of building this new emergency department, and it was really one of the best opportunities to leverage, you know, really the patient experience and all the work that takes place in the emergency department. So what we saw is that, you know, it's the little things, you know, and our manager of the emergency department always refers to these things as the microaggressions, right? The things that really frustrate the staff. So when you're going to start an IV and the IV isn't there, you sigh because you have to leave, you know, or, oh, you know, like, you know, why isn't this there? Why isn't this working? Like all of those little things sort of create barriers for us to have a really great patient experience. So what we did was when we were building the emergency department, we included all of the stakeholders. And so it was probably... One of the most fun things we did in this whole build was that, you know, we actually went off campus to the local community college and actually invited everyone, staff nurses, registration clerks, the EMS that partners with us, the local police, everyone that had a stake in the game in terms of what this new emergency department would look like. And then what they did was they designed it and they had little pieces of paper that represented either a patient room or a restroom or whatever it needed to be. It was all in scale with the amount of space that we had. And then they all worked together and created what the blueprint should look like. And so after they had to do that exercise once, we took it all away and made them do it all again because they got to hear from each other on why people designed what they did. And so that exercise went on for several days um, until we created really where we are today. Um, So, but that was one piece. But the other piece of that is down to the nitty gritty pieces. Like how do I have the equipment that I need to do my job? Like one of Gallup's top 12, right? The materials and supplies I need to do my job. 
how do I have those at my fingertip? And I give a lot of credit to the nursing leadership team um, in the emergency department for really being particular about what does that mean? What does that look like? So carts, how the carts were labeled, where everything was, everything had a, has a place. And so, and not only, you know, are those things developed, but there's a plan to sustain, to make sure that they stay the way they are all the time, right? It's that 5S process when you think about lean management, like it has to be assigned to somebody to make sure that all of these pieces stay in place or you have the same UG all over again, right? You know, the same frustration. So, you know, it's not just about putting it in place, but it's standardizing and setting things in order so that you can check and make sure that it's there when you need it. So all of those things I think made a huge difference. So that standardization and the consistency and the staff being part of all of those decisions, you know, really help the buy-in. So when you're starting to talk about things like patient experience, which is probably like one of the least favorite things that emergency department nurse gets excited about is it's, it really pulls it all together that, you know, you want the whole package, not just one piece of it when you're caring for patients. Wow. And one of the things I find most remarkable is it seems that a great deal of this was actually accomplished during COVID, despite the surge in patient volume and challenging staffing levels and all of that that the pandemic brought. How was that possible in your view? Well, I think, you know, the things that we did the best was that, you know, the education in terms of like the toolkit, the things that we did in terms of the patient experience, providing those tools sort of on a gradual week to week to week basis, and sometimes on a daily basis, that education was standardized and we were starting to become consistent at what we were doing. So after you learn something, it becomes easier. Okay, so when you have an increased surge in volume, you know, you already have that tool with you that you don't have to think so hard about it because you already have that skill set developed. So it's creating that muscle memory on how to respond to patient situations. I think the other thing is, you know, we took away all those barriers. So when we created the standard processes and during the two years that we were under the build of the emergency department, we had to change our processes several times. You know, we went from this much space to this much space, and then we had to flip the space, and then we had this much space. So it was really challenging. So the staff, you know, great credit to them, had to redesign the flow over and over again to be able to get through to where we are today. And so there were lessons learned along the way for sure, you know, every step that we took those as pearls of wisdom, but it was the education, it was the standardization, and it was creating consistency in the processes that we delivered. And so I think that focus, you know, that focus that we had, you know, really made a huge difference in us in order to be able to sustain the scores that we have. So yeah, well, that's, I think, is a really important point as well, is that the systems and processes that enable to be sustained. Can you tell us a little bit about where Jefferson Hospital is now on those patient and experience and staff engagement scores that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, you know, so there were times, you know, I know we were at the fifth percentile. There were times when we were at the first percentile. I mean, it was really rough, you know. So after we did, uh, you know, our first sort of playbook round one, um, we actually saw our scores go up to like the 69th percentile. It's really our high. And it just continued to climb month after month, which was really fabulous. Now in 2022, as we were sort of the ship was starting to settle after the pandemic, we saw breakdowns in a lot of areas throughout the organization, not just the emergency department, 
but our scores dipped just a tiny bit in terms of patient satisfaction by 4%. So it really didn't alter that much in the emergency department. And I do think it's a credit to really putting the bricks in place one by one by one and massaging them over the course of time that it became part of the the culture is part of who each person is when they're caring for patients. So from an engagement perspective, you know, we were sitting with engagement scores around the 17th percentile and it was amazing. It's been amazing to watch because the emergency department um, created an engagement team and they put together a lot of things. And one of my favorites is probably the softball team that they have where everybody comes to the softball team. So it doesn't matter what job you have, you just come out together. And actually in 2023, they actually had, you know, we're in a tournament for a suicide risk, which was just amazing, you know, that they are staying together and having fun. I mean, they've created their own baseball cards and, you know, it was just really a lot of fun, but it's not just the softball team that kind of creates a team that has fun together, but they have chess tournaments for the people who aren't necessarily physically really excited about running around on a field. Um, They have, you know, cookie baking um, where they went to the family house in Pittsburgh over Christmas and baked cookies for the people uh, to help create a better Christmas for them. So the team really has, you know, gelled um, and has had a lot of fun. So I think when you think about bringing joy back to work, I think that has been like one of the key elements of all of this is that they're having fun again. And I think that's what you want. You have fun, then you have great engagement and you have great patient experience scores. So our engagement scores are hitting like the 52nd percentile. Um, we did not do an engagement survey yet in 2023. So our last one was in 2022. So, you know, I anticipate it to be even higher. And so given what you've experienced at Jefferson Hospital, have you seen opportunities to apply some of these insights and approaches at other Allegheny hospitals? Yes, absolutely. So our nurse manager at the time, who was part of our entire creation of the playbook, actually moved and got promoted to be the director in emergency department at one of our sister hospitals. And so, of course, he really loves the playbook. But, you know, he had a lot of other challenges just to start, you know, as a new leader in his organization. So as he's worked through those, he's now been implementing the playbook and has seen increases with the scores. And now they're sitting not quite at the 50th. They're more like 20 plus Mm. percent, you know, but when you start a single digits getting in a very short period of time to the 20th percentile, I think is a big change. And so the playbook and elements of it are being used in various ways at different hospitals. And depending on the organization, again, you have to look at your data. What is your data telling you and how you should implement? So I think in the playbook, there's a little bit for everyone, you know, whether it's the tools or whether it's the apology algorithm, you know, how do I just say I'm sorry and not get myself into a greater pickle, right? You know, because you want the patient to know that you're sorry and you want to move past it. So I think um, that has been really fabulous for us. And we're all cheering for or, you know, our nurse manager who's implementing the playbook, because that would really be the proof in the pudding that it works. You think about the experience that you've had at Jefferson Hospital. Is there any advice or kind of pearls of wisdom that you would offer given the experience you've had from this? Anything that surprised you or that you feel is particularly useful for others to know about? Well, I think, you know, we've sort of boiled down to five things that we think was really paramount to our success. One, the leadership team had to have a really great relationship with 
you know, our patient experience manager at the corporate level as well. So I think that relationship actually can move mountains and, you know, I've seen it happen. And, you know, we always know that relationships are critical to the success of, you know, really any endeavor. The other thing I think we would say is just understand your data. Like you really have to know what the problems are before you try solving them. You know, lots of times people want to create solutions when it's really a solution to a problem they don't have. So you really have to understand what your data is telling you. I think the employee engagement piece was pivotal. So in our case, we were building a whole new emergency department. So it was a great avenue to be able to include the staff at hello. And, you know, imagine the excitement was just palpable as they were getting the opportunity to build something of their own. So I think the employee engagement is important, but from a patient experience standpoint, you have to work that in slowly, you know, and continue to get the buy-in from the staff. And, and I think the staff development of patient experience tools, as well as the toolkit in general, I think are really critical. You know, we go through nursing school and we learn, you know, a lot of things in terms of how to technically take care of patients. But all of these other things require a lot more work. It's not like class after class after class. It's sort of a smidget of things that you get in nursing school. It's not, you know, weaved all the way through. So this is something that's really in-depth. It's how to have crucial conversations every day and everything that you do. And I think that that is, you know, example. And the other thing is, I think besides, you know, just trying to make it all fun is that it takes time. Like it is, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I think it can get really frustrating and discouraging when you don't see the scores go as high as what you want immediately. And so, but it takes time and you'll get there. But I think, you know, just putting the bricks in place one after another, you know, helps build on where you were before and you can't give up. You know, you still have to stay focused on the goal. But I do know is if you don't focus on it, the chance of being successful is zero. So, but you have to give it focus. And and sometimes patient experience doesn't seem as important when you're resuscitating someone with their acute MI, right? So, I mean, it's all relative, but I do think that you have to put focus towards it in order to be successful. Now, I see we have a question in the chat that I'd like to share with you. This is from Mike Woodruff. Thank you, Joy. Such great work. Can you comment on the role and engagement of your physicians in this transformation? Oh my gosh, we couldn't have made it without our physicians in this transformation. So, you know, our physicians are right there at the very early stages when we were doing the compassion fatigue training and, you know, and they recognized um, that as well. And I will say that our emergency department physicians all recently read the book, Compassionomics. And I think technically it has a lot of research in that book, but they really felt like it changed them as well. Um, you know, just reading like all the research about compassion and why it's important in the emergency department department setting. So, um, but they were with us lock, step, and barrel every step of the way with the patient experience team, as well as with our nurse leaders. So we're fortunate. We have a fabulous leader, you know, and we have people that are really engaged. And, you know, I will say that, you know, one of the physicians actually leads the chess tournament. So we have the virtual chess tournament. He leads that chess tournament. You know, it's, it's part of, you know, engagement. He's just, he's part of it, just like everybody else is and trying to contribute to a better environment. I really love the book Compassionomics as well. I think it is really eye-opening and all the evidence is there of the importance of compassion, not just for a great experience, but for all the clinical outcomes. And that the thing is really especially compelling. So one final question for you that we like to ask, do you have a favorite quote that you can share with us and why it's your favorite quote? 
Well, I think for this setting, I think probably my favorite quote belongs to Gandhi. So I will say, be the change you wish to see in the world. And I think that that's really powerful for a lot of reasons, particularly in this setting. So be the change. If you really adopt and endorse be the change, it really requires a reflection on yourself, you know, and who you are. And what we can do with be the change is focus on the one thing that we can control, which is ourselves and the way we manage any particular situation. So I think at the heart of Be the Change is our why, why we get up every day to do what we do. And so, you know, life changes are inevitable. They're always going to happen. But Be the Change means like we remind ourselves why we came to the table every day and we find that joy in the work that we do and we become real and relatable to the people around us. And I think that warmth and compassion is who we are as nurses in particular, but certainly as caregivers and I think it's what creates the success, you know, in tribute to your book, you know, I think confidence and warmth are the things that really do make a difference. And, you know, and I am say, I'm so proud of this team in the emergency department of Jefferson. You know, they are truly a team of caregivers that love what they do. I'm glad to see that their happiness has returned. And I'm glad that we are able to lift a lot of the barriers, but it does require work. And so that would be my thing. Be the change. Thank you. That's an awesome, awesome quote. Thank you so much for sharing this remarkable story with us today. It's inspiring to hear what's been happening at Jefferson Hospital in the ED, and we look forward to following more progress at other Allegheny Health Hospitals in the future. And be sure to join us for our next Humanizing Healthcare discussion. We'll be talking to Dr. Kendall Cannon, the Chief Medical Officer at Herself Health. And we'll be discussing how they are transforming primary care delivery for women over the age of 65. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of Humanizing Healthcare, please give it a rating, share it with others, and follow us at Fidelum Health on LinkedIn. And make sure you join us next time as we share more insights from another inspiring healthcare leader and innovator.